So as I said in my introduction in our series this term, we're looking at the early chapters of Genesis, Numbers 1 to 12, and they talk about the meaning of the world and its creation and who we are before God. And today, as you heard, we're talking about the story of Cain and Abel. Now, as someone who has two sons myself, I've got to say that this story reads a bit like someone who's been watching our home uh, and <laughs> throughout the day. Um, so brothers who compete with each other and have rivalry, who fight and hurt each other and then try to talk their way out of it when they're challenged by it. It's a very realistic scenario. It's a little too close for comfort for me sometimes. So, But so we're looking at that today. Um, last week, just to remind you, we looked at chapter 3 of Genesis and it's the story of Adam and Eve, their story of the temptation by the serpent. And at the end of the story, we saw that they found themselves in a broken relationship with God and with each other, and they were exiled from paradise in the Garden of Eden, and they were sent out to live in this new painful world that they'd made for themselves. And so the story of Adam and Eve is a tragic one, and we saw that it sets up for us what we might call um, an appreciation of the human condition, which is the way we actually experience life in the world. It's a world that's split and divided in many ways and how we can understand what God has for us there. And after that story then of Adam and Eve, Genesis then moves on to a further series of stories, I think, that describe and explain this new reality that they're living in, life in exile outside the Garden of Eden. And so what happens in these coming chapters is that we see the brokenness at the heart of human life starts to spiral out of control in various ways and the world as we know it actually is gradually set into place as the scene for God's work, you know, a world that needs healing, a world that needs his salvation. So the first story that we come across in this passage is this one, this section, uh, which is the story of the family of Adam and Eve and, you know, Cain and Abel, their sons. And I think this is essentially a story about what does it mean to live in intimate relationships in a world under the curse of sin and separation from God. So what we see in this story is that instead of simplicity, joy, harmony and growth together, we see a pattern of division, a pattern of anger, violence and destruction that wreaks havoc in every human relationship in our experience to some degree. And this is pictured here as the reality of this division taking root in one of the closest relationships that we can imagine, which is the relationships between brothers in the same household, related by blood. Now, as I just mentioned, I think, a bit before, and we've tried to talk in each week of this series, one of the questions people often have when we look at Genesis is whether the characters in these stories were real people, whether they were actually historical uh, records. And, of course, as I've said, they may have been, um, but as I've tried to argue, the biblical story doesn't necessarily need them to be. Um, real people, what they represent and what they're telling us about the story of God and his people is more important. And, you know, when you think a bit too much about the historical detail of Cain and Abel's story, you end up with questions like the famous one, which is, you know, where does Cain's wife come from when he goes out into the world? um, So that sort of question. And obviously that's not actually a question that really worried the writer of Genesis, so I don't think it should really worry us either. Um, The point for us is what does this story teach us about understanding the world we live in? in the light of our relationship to God. Now, the story of Cain and Abel may be familiar to many of you. It's one of the better-known stories in the Bible. So I'll just go over it a bit, though. Adam and Eve, as we've seen, they leave the Garden of Eden, they get out into the world and decide they're going to set up a home and a family and do what God's told them to do. And initially, they have two sons, Cain, who's the older one, and Abel, who is the younger one. The name Cain, which they give to their son means to acquire something or to get something or make something. 
And so Eve is essentially rejoicing that even though she's out of the garden, God has given her something. She's acquired a son. She says, I've, I've, made, I've been given a man in my life. You know, There's some hope for our family outside the garden. Abel, on the other hand, means something like smoke or vapour, mist. You might remember our series on Ecclesiastes. Um, you might recognise the word hevel. It sounds a bit like Abel. And that was a word we looked at a lot. And it means smoke and vapour. Sorry, just some of our friends walked past. Just give me a word. Um, now, I think that when you uh, name a character Smoke and Mist, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't hang around too long in the story. So there's a bit of a foreshadowing there. And, of course, Abel doesn't. So um, the brothers grow up and they have a fairly normal life, recognisable in the ancient world. So Cain's a gardener, Abel's a shepherd. And they set up in their life, they worship God with sacrifices. Uh, but for some reason, this story says, Abel's offerings are more pleasing to God than Cain's. Now, why that is the case, it's one of the unexplained mysteries of this story. People have theories about it. Um, so suggestions is perhaps one, the idea is that God prefers lamb to vegetables, which is a very Australian attitude to have, you know, um, that he likes a bit of meat and so he likes it better. Um, Perhaps the, or perhaps that, uh, people seriously suggest that, by the way, um, or that Cain was offering his sacrifice in a bad attitude, perhaps, and that Abel was a bit more of a true worshipper of God. I think that's probably the most likely interpretation. Um, and so Cain doesn't like this, that he's not favoured by God, and so he gets very angry. Um, and so the Lord gives him then a talking to about it and warns him not to go and do anything foolish or give in to his anger. Now, I don't know about you, but if God actually spoke to me that way, I might listen. Um, but, and I, as a parent, I recognise this sort of conversation very well. Now, I know you're angry. Don't go and try and hit your brother. But he does. Okay. And so Cain goes off and he kills his brother in the field. Uh, and then he tries to hide what he's done from God, which seems to be a trick that he picked up from his parents um, since they did the same thing when they ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden. So they've sort of picked up that pattern in the family. Um, but, of course, he's found out, as you always are. And he's sent away from the family home into exile. He goes out into the land that says east of Eden, and he goes out to set up his own life for himself and build his own family. That's where this uh, mysterious wife comes in. Um, but Cain in this journey is protected, we hear, from vengeance by God. He's, made, he's marked with a kind of permanent sign somehow of who he is and his action, which protects him, though, and it follows him. Um, as a treat, I know there are those who like amusing Hebrew names. It's lovely to hear that Cain ends up living in the land of Nod, um, east of Eden, which sounds like a very soothing place to live. But um, it's really a description of they're saying he's gone a long way from his family. He's gone a long way from God. He's gone outside um, the experience of that, of that presence. So he's gone out of Eden. So the question is, okay, what, what are we supposed to take from this story of Cain? What does it mean for us? Well, I think that it's... It's really about what does it mean to live in this world and what does it mean to be in this world in, um, where relationships are hard. So in Genesis, I think the Garden of Eden, whatever else it was, if it was a place or just an idea, it really represents as a symbol, I think, of the possibilities of life lived with God in the presence and love of God. So that's Eden. We're in God's presence and experiencing his life. So Eden is like the kind of hidden reality of spirit, the spiritual dimension of the world where God is close to us and his blessing is with us. So in Eden, with God, we have everything that we need. There are no barriers between us and God, between us and other people. 
things are the way they should be. And we don't lack anything to make life full and free from care. And so then to be thrown out of the Garden of Eden as this family is, is to be subject then to the harsh conditions of natural life together. Um, That involves then the possibility of failure and of conflict of different needs that need to be met. Um, A sense of alienation from each other and from God, separation, a lack of satisfaction in the things that they can do. And that in, and the hard work that has very little gain to it. That's to be out of Eden. And so I think this story is a description of the path that these kind of relationships can take outside the presence of God and outside of Eden. And how this kind of builds into greater and greater destructiveness over time. And this is something you see as, it's really one of the themes of Genesis actually. It asks the question, how does the human condition of sin and failure grow and bear fruit in broken relationships? families in particular. And so Cain struggles with this problem. He's out of Eden. And his, his problem begins in a very small way, we hear. This sort of tiny seed of shame and anger over this religious rivalry with his brother. Um, but eventually, and almost pretty quickly actually, it turns into murder and the complete breakdown of their family. And he carries this, the seeds of this violence and his relationship breakdown, they carry on into Cain as he goes out and creates his own new family and his descendants come after him. So chapter 4, which beyond what we read, it finishes with a description of the family of Cain, his children, his descendants, and we hear about them. We hear they're gifted craftsmen and warriors, many of them. They do a lot of things. But they've also unfortunately learnt from their father how to behave. So, for instance, we read about Cain's great-great-great-grandson, a man named Lamech, and Lamech has a little song that he likes to sing to his wives when he come home, comes home from work. So in verse 23 to 24, it says, Lamech sang, said to his wives, Adar and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Don't cross Lamech is the answer there. So we might say, like great-great-grandfather, like great-great-great-grandson, you know, he's part of this family of Cain, Lamech, and it's getting worse. Cain has created a cycle of violence that travels throughout the generations after him, and it's the kind of life that we're supposed to expect outside the Garden of Eden, outside the Tree of Life, and outside of God's um, blessing. And it's a cycle, I think, that we can recognise very clearly, uh, perhaps in our own families that we have seen over the generations, or in our nation or in the world around us and the way that things happen for people over time. Um, Violence, revenge, abuse, moving down from generation to generation, perhaps even getting worse each time until something comes to stop that pattern and change it. That's the mark of Cain. Anyway, so after this point, Cain basically drops out of the story of Genesis and the main story goes on with Adam and Eve's third son and his family, Seth. Wonderful name for a child, Jerome, yeah. So, because he's a blessed child. Anyway, Cain, Cain does show up again in the Bible. He's mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament, in the letter of First John and also in the letter to the Hebrews. And, but he's used there as an example of someone who hates other people and doesn't love them and who doesn't have faith in what God can do. So that's how Cain ends up in the Bible. And I think that's the way we can really draw applications for our own lives today from the story of Cain and Abel. And so the key thing for me in this story is the words of the Lord to Cain when Cain is feeling angry about being rejected in favour of Abel. So God says to him, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So Genesis as a whole, I think, teaches us that as human beings on this planet, we're actually suspended in one sense between two worlds, um, between two realities. And so we might describe them as between the Garden of Eden and the world outside Eden. And I think Jesus would describe those same realities as the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Um, so this is the world as God, as God wants it to be and the world as it's made by sin. And I think um, these two worlds, we learn, meet with us and we experience the tension and struggle between them. Um, so sin, which is outside God's plan, is like an enemy that crouches at the door of our heart outside our, our present, the presence of God with us, waiting, wanting to come and rule over us and to draw us into this new world in the way that it did for Cain and to drive us further away from the presence of God, perhaps out into the land of Nod and further east of Eden. In, in, in the letter First Peter, chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Peter puts it in this way to the people in his churches, a similar thing. He says, you must be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's the same image. He's waiting. He wants to draw you in. And so what we're seeing is the world that we live in is a contested space. And part of understanding creation in the Bible is understanding that. So the world we are in at the moment, it's a state of tension between God's creative power, which is still at work, and the destructive power of evil, which opposes that. And part of our calling as people who are made in the image of God, which has never gone away since the beginning, is to be part of bringing God's presence into creation in the way that he desires. Um, and that starts with our own hearts, and that starts with our own participation in God's life. And so that's why the Bible places such an emphasis, I think, on the necessity for peace with God and for peace with each other, particularly in the, commu- in the community of God's people. And um, because the splits between us and within us are, are due to a distortion in creation that's come about from sin, and God wants to heal that. And Jesus, of course, was very adamant about this and how important it was for his people. So in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, we read that Jesus teaches. I'll read a bit and then you'll be up on the screen. He says, You have heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, this fool, is is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. And you can hear the story of Cain and Abel resonating there, can't you? coming before God. So the problem that Cain had, I think, was not essentially that he murdered his brother, though he shouldn't have done that. That was a bad thing to do. The problem really was that this action was the result of his broken heart before God and his entertaining of anger and hatred towards his brother, and he let sin rule over him and draw him away from God. So before he came to God, he he should have sorted out his heart, and then I think his offering would have been accepted. And he would have had peace with his brother. Um, And then maybe God would have received his sacrifice with with favour. And Cain then would have been part of the journey that God was calling his family on back towards Eden or back towards um, the presence of God, not further away into the land of Nod. And then we'll read later on Babylon and all the terrible things that they did. Um, And so Jesus in his own teaching is also calling us back, I think, from this way that Cain got into 
into a new way, the experience of reconciliation, healing of broken relationships and the restoration of creation through that. Uh, so this is something that we're called to do as a church and as a community as well. And if you think about it, some of the things we do in worship are about that. One of the things that we do symbolically in our church in worship, I'm not doing it today, but we often do it, is what we call the greeting of the peace. Traditionally, this is intended as a chance for people to express this forgiveness and peace to those with us before we come together to communion to celebrate, before we bring our offering to God, um, to do what Cain should have done and sort out our heart first. Now, that, when we do that, that's a symbol. It's just meant to give us a, a, you know, an indication. But so many things that we do in worship and so many things we do in our Christian life are meant to be a reflection for us of a different way of approaching life in the world when we are there. How is God asking us to live in creation? And what we do in worship is like a condensed, a condensed version of our life um, all the time. So we're called to be part of creation, not destruction. And I think that the challenge that Cain brings to us is that uh, for us, like for him, we know sin is always crouching outside our door waiting for an opportunity to get in and to drag us into, under its influence and away from what we're created to be. It's not just about the law or doing the wrong thing or you know, being immoral. Or, it's about being dragged away from actually what God made us to be into something that's not right. Um, you know, the opposite of creation is destruction. You know? And so sin is the force of destruction. It gets inside our life. It breaks us apart. And it breaks us apart from each other as well and drags us into these de- destructive relationships. And so when we do get under that influence, we take it wherever we go and we become agents of destruction. And Jesus is saying you can even do that in worship. You can bring destruction into the community of the church but without, without, in our hearts and, and, and let it out here. And he doesn't want that. So, and that's a perpetual challenge. And yeah, like this, this work of Cain can lead us into very dark places and I'm sure many of you know that. Um, the results we see in our lives, you know, is we experience painful, broken relationships, broken hearts, violence, we hurt each other, and we can't get back. And so the choice before us, I think, is very clear in the, in the world, as it was before Cain, you know, we know what he said, to, what the Lord said to him, that Jesus is actually calling us, as his followers, into the kingdom of God, actually calling us to experience the true life with God and to accept his grace into our hearts to make them Eden before him, places of forgiveness and reconciliation and change. And so when we do that, we actually become agents of transformation and in God's new creation, and we're part of what he's doing in the world. And so it's actually a wonderful calling that he's given us in our relationship with him. Um, and so today, as we are going to approach his table, I'd encourage us all, is the mark of Cain on us? You know, Do we need to seek forgiveness and cleansing from our, what's in our hearts? Ask him to make us a place for his new creation and to wash away all this destructive dirt and the mark of Cain on us and take Jesus' victory over sin and death up and his new creation in us. I want to pray now. I want us to reflect on that. We're going to spend some time thinking about things in a minute as we come to communion together. So let me pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we acknowledge that um, the mark of this work that Cain did is on all of us in some respect. Part of the cycle of uh, broken relationships in our world, we thank you that you have come to reverse that, to remake us, to give us a new life. I pray that everyone here today would understand our part in your kingdom and to welcome you in for your forgiveness, your changing us. We pray that you would wash us clean 
and make us the people that you have intended us to be from the beginning. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.